In celebration of Black History Month, Hyundai is proud to support the OWN Network. Have you ever thought about your car personality? What's your vibe? Do you like the classic fully gas-powered engine? Are you a best-of-both-worlds type? Driving on battery power while keeping gas on reserve? Or are you more inclined to choose a convenient hybrid ride? Whichever your vibe, there's a Hyundai Tucson to match and a powertrain to get you there. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the 2023 Hyundai Tucson. The 2023 Tucson Plug-In Hybrid is only sold in California, Colorado, Connecticut, Maine, Massachusetts, Maryland, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Rhode Island, and Vermont. Through 25 seasons, 4,561 episodes, I believe the Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the LOLs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The moments that mattered. The eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. So, unless y'all have been living under a rock, you know that this year's blockbuster movie is one letter. X. Today, controversial director Spike Lee, Malcolm X's widow, Dr. Betty Shabazz, and his daughter, Atala Shabazz, are here to remember Malcolm X. Please help me welcome the director who did a phenomenal job with this movie, director Spike Lee. They've all seen the movie, they've all been fed. Before the movie or after? During, before, after, the whole time. And, and we all felt that three and a half hours was not even a long time. Three hours, 21 minutes. Thank you. <laughs> Are you pleased? Very pleased. Yeah. How difficult was it? It's the hardest thing I ever had to do in my life. And Denzel and I, along with the people, the other filmmakers in the cast, knew that it's a challenge was we had to make a great film that if anything less than that, would be a failure, even if it was very good, so-so, mm-hmm. you know. And Denzel and I cannot walk anywhere without, without being reminded by people, don't mess Malcolm's story up. You know, not just, I'm not even talking about Baraka and, and those guys, but yeah. just... Who challenged you from the beginning. Just the masses, just walking the streets, you know. Have said, you heard anything from them? Because I would think that even they would be pleased. I can't speak for them, but... No, we didn't have any screenings, so I guess they'll see the film mm-hmm. when, it, when it, if they choose to, mm-hmm. you know, and they could pay their $7.50. <laughs> Like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so you felt that it was, it was a mission more than, as well as a movie. Yes. Uh, when I heard, first heard that Norman Jewison was going to direct this film, I, I started to, you know, through the press, say that, you know, this couldn't be. Mm-hmm. He was the wrong guy. And I definitely needed an African-American director to direct this film. You know, Malcolm, um, we all know through your film, through reading uh, Alex Haley's book, went through a transformation after going to Mecca. How were you transformed, or were you in any way doing this film? 
Well, I think that in order to do this film, I had to do a lot of research. My understanding of Malcolm is that much better. But when you do something this big, and you have so many obstacles, you know, it either, either could kill you mm -hmm. or makes you stronger. And after going through the fire in this one, I feel I could do anything. Mm -hmm. And it's because of studying Malcolm that when I had that financial, I was in trouble, mm -hmm. and I called you and Michael Jordan Magic and other people, that's a page out of Malcolm's book, which is Do For Self. The black folks have to start being dependent on each other mm -hmm. and not always relying on white folks. You know, we get in the jam. What was the hardest part, though, other than the money? I know that was a bad mm -hmm. day. <laughs> well, the hardest part, Oprah, is that I have never done anything this, this big. Mm -hmm. We shot in Africa. We were the first people ever allowed to bring a camera in the holy city of Mecca. And did they have to convert to the religion to be there? No, That's what we, I'd read. I didn't I know. Did, no, we sent the Islamic crew. I did not go. So it was mm -hmm. a second unit crew that was, they were Muslims already. So we shot 75 days, tens and tens of extras, a thousand of extras. And uh, I can now say that everything I did up to this point from She's Gonna Have the Jungle Fee was really in preparation for something this big. Absolutely. But were there days when you felt overwhelmed? Because, I mean, for instance, the shot when Malcolm's father, played by Denzel, where there's a shot where they're running and there's a picture of, there's a moon and it's looked like they're running off the edge of the... I said, how the hell did they get that shot? That was our, yeah. that was our homage to Steven Spielberg's shot. Yeah. We had the, the clan riding off into the sunset. That was a special effect. But really, the hardest day to shoot, the hardest day I had, was a Friday. The night before, my father got arrested for heroin possession. Mm -hmm. And then that next that day, that Friday, he was on the cover of every single newspaper in New York City, and then the television crews were out there. And then my old girlfriend who had broken up, she only she had a small scene, but that was the day she worked also. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I didn't want to come to work that day. Really? Well, we didn't understand it, just because you brought it up, but why, when he was called, did he start yelling, I'm Spike Lee's dad? Get him off the hook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> didn't help. <laughs> did you feel like he sort of sacrificed you? Or... Yeah. 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 Sold me out. So but you out. I knew. Yeah. So your dad I... had been arrested, your girlfriend had broken up with you, and she's I mean, shooting the scene that I mean, day. She gave me an ax before, but the same day all this was happening. Yeah, yeah. Didn't think you were gonna make it through. It was rough, but amazingly, there were no newspapers on the set that day. Mm -hmm. Nobody said nothing, everybody just tried to act as if it was a normal day. When I looked at the scenes where there were so many extras, I thought, my God, were those days caused you more headaches than others, handling all those extras? Yes, because anytime you have big scenes like that, after we finish any day, I was always hoarse from screaming so much because it's just hard. The more people you have, the harder it is to control. Yeah. And so many different kinds of scenes. I mean, the ballroom dancing when y'all were doing the jitterbug and all that. First of all, I was trying to figure out when they were using the sub because I know you weren't no. throwing those people over your shoulder, were you? <laughs> there was no, you know, uh, stunt no? dance on this. That was Denzel dancing. I couldn't believe that. Denzel. That's amazing. <laughs> Talking to Spike Lee about Malcolm X. I've never seen a film where every single person acting in the film was one... I mean, first of all, Denzel needs a standing ovation. Let's give him one. <laughs> and everybody else in the film. Uh, when you do a big film like this, there's really two routes where you could go with the best people you can get, and that's, that's, that's gonna be unknown faces, mm -hmm. 
or you go with the make it an all-star cast. But we felt that we're going the, with the best talent and the unknown faces maybe make them more realistic. So you wouldn't be saying, oh, that's so-and-so, that's mm -hmm. so-and-so. And we got lost in it. I mean, there were times, uh, specifically when you'd see film of Malcolm and you couldn't tell whether it was Denzel or not. Didn't you all feel that? Mm. It was unbelievable. That's why you meant that to happen, did you not? Well, I really think it's more than the physical resemblance. Den Denzel was, it's inner strength that was yeah. inside. Yes, and one of the things I'd read that Denzel had said is that his prayer was that this would be about the evolution of a man, about the spirit of a man and how a man can change no matter how dire the circumstances. Yeah, and he also said that he could not be Malcolm X, but hopefully the same God that passed through Malcolm could pass through him. And Denzel understood that in order for that to happen, he had to be spiritually pure. So a year before he began the shoot, he started to fast, started to read the Quran daily, cut out alcohol. We both went on the wagon. <laughs> got off the wagon after the movie ended. <laughs> but, I mean, it was scary over being on that set because it was spooky. It was not Denzel. That was Malcolm. Every time we did a speech... In incarnate the, almost, yeah. Incarnate. Every time we did a, the, speech, uh, the scenes in the film with their speeches, uh -huh. you know, the speeches were Malcolm's speech, so it's a script. But I wouldn't say cut when it, the dialogue ended. He would keep on going. Another five minutes, it was coming out of his mouth was Malcolm. And I would say cut, and Denzel had this blank stare in his face. He said, Spike, I don't remember what I just said. Whoa. Like he was just speaking and... Like it was like a visitation almost. It was like that. It was scary. Yeah. So what is it you wanted? I know you had some, some, some tough struggles because mm -hmm. when you go into Hollywood and you say, I want to do this film with Malcolm X, most of America doesn't understand Malcolm X. And I mean, a lot of particularly white people have been introduced to him as a result of this film and all the publicity surrounding that film. So I'm sure that you came up against some reservation from people saying, well, where, how much money did you say you needed now? First it was 40 uh -huh. million, then it was 33, and finally we got 20 from Warner Brothers and eight from Largo, who they sold the foreign rights to. That was 28 million. But we knew it was still five million short, mm -hmm. but uh, everybody just wanted to deal with it when we got to that bridge. And that br we crossed that bridge in November, and that's when a bond company took over financial control of the film. And it was in uh, post-production where I had to make Call yourself and some other people to mm -hmm. help to save my neck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, how was it that you were able to convince them that this was an epic and about more than just getting people into the seats? Well, to be honest, I don't think Warner Bros. was really convinced until they saw the first, the first rough cut. Then they were in all the way. Uh huh. Because they understood it. And they, and they saw us up what we were trying to do, what was on the screen. But mm -hmm. from the very first meeting I had with Mark Semmel and Bob Daly, I told him, this is an epic. I want to make this film on the scale of the old David Lean films, Lawrence of Arabia, Bridge and River Kwai, uh, Dr. Chivago. This cannot be some cheap, you know, TV miniseries, mm -hmm, you know. Mm -hmm. This is a big film. I said, it's going to cost over 30 million. It's going to be over three hours long. And I said, well, why don't you just work on the script? First? And I just wanted to say to the people, don't let the three hours and 21 minutes scare you, because it goes and, because I had come, and we were going to stop and have supper in between and stuff, and we, we, we... <laughs> were you going to stop the movie? We the were going to stop the movie, <laughs> because we heard it was going to be, we were going to be in there for a while, but then we, I didn't even go to the bathroom. I, could, I got up to go to the bathroom, and then I thought I might miss something, so I didn't even pee during the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> You must have strong bladders. 
Okay, she fell in love with the most controversial black man in America and then witnessed his brutal murder. Welcome, Dr. Betty Shabazz. And uh, my next guest, Atala Shabazz, was only six years old when she saw her father murdered because they were there that day at the Audubon. Atala says she remembers her dad differently than the people who only saw him speak publicly to, to her. He was a kind and a gentle and a funny dad, so we want to talk to you about it. You know, I don't know if you all notice this as white people, but as, a, as black people, we know that you don't very often see black people, couples on television, being intimate and loving with, with each other. I don't know if it's a thing you would notice if you were white. And was it, it, was it like that? All the time. All the time? All, absolutely all the time, yes. I, was, I read this Essence article a while back where you were saying that it was a, an almost an idealistic kind of life with him, for a while at least anyway, before it became so controversial. No, but our personal life was always like that. Really? Yes. You have to understand that Malcolm didn't have a family, mm -hmm. uh, the family life, and so that, that was extremely important, you know. We have great times at dinner. He would explain things to me, and he kept me reading books, and I would always um, write summaries that he read on the plane. You know, he, was so he that like no other man you'd ever met? Is that, did he knock you off your feet the first time? Yes. Really? Yes. 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 And, or since him. Or since him. Yes. yes. And what was it about him? I don't know. He was just very serious. Uh, he was integral. He was uh, disciplined. He was dedicated. I guess he had gone through all of the stages of his dysfunctioning mm -hmm. um, prior to that, so that when he met me, it was all over. Mm -hmm. You know, he was he was ready. He. he... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I think every woman should meet a man when he's ready. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> so, but is, and also what we see in, in the movie Malcolm X is he just called you up on the phone and said he wanted to marry you. That was, that's correct. Well, yes, yes. And, I, and I, I like the way that Spike handled it because actually we didn't dialogue about it, you know? Uh-huh. He asked me in a very unconventional way, you know, and I answered the same way. Unconventionally. Y yes, mm -hmm. yes. I screamed. <laughs> <laughs> and so, was the marriage anything like you expected? No. It was better than I expected. Really? Really? Yes. But I was surprised to read that you had, and we don't see this in the film, but that you had left him three times. Yes, I did. He was, he was, like very disciplined, mm -hmm. and I was uh, adopted and older parents, and I had gone to school all of my life, and they only wanted me to be happy. Mm -hmm. uh, and he wouldn't let you work. He didn't want you to work outside yes, the home. Yes, my mother thought that was terrible. Uh -huh. You know, uh, so that yes, it was a difference in lifestyle mm -hmm. to be committed and responsible when I had been reared to be happy, mm -hmm. you know, it just... He was committed and responsible and disciplined. Right, yes. right, and wow, you know, uh -huh. so that it took a lot to but get But I also read, to... this is what I read too, Dr. Betty, that you would leave but be very happy when he come to find you. Oh, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. I, ne <laughs> I never stayed longer than 48 hours any place. Uh -huh. Usually it was overnight and the next day I was going back. Mm -hmm. It was like spending the night out. And how do you feel, both of you, spending the night out? How do you all, 
both feel because America is rediscovering Malcolm X. And how does that make you feel in your heart? Well, I think that people need to know Malcolm. I think when you look at the uh, conditions and the destabilization around the world, people need a Malcolm. Yeah. You know? But don't you think that to a great extent he is misunderstood? Because I see a lot of these kids, not all, but a lot of these kids who, thankfully, because of Spike's movie, will be able to have a greater understanding of him. These are a lot of kids who are not going to pick up Alex Haley's book or any other book uh, about I must him. say that Malcolm dictated that book to Alex. Alex didn't do one bit of research. Really? Yes. Thanks for making that clear to all of us. <laughs> but what I, the point I was making is that a lot of kids think that it's about, you know, going out, hating white people, doing whatever you can, bashing people in the head. But really, it was about self-honor and self-discipline and self-betterment and all the things that we really need the most right now. Yes. Do they really believe that? Uh, bashing in the head and all I know that some stuff? kids who think that's what it's about. Oh, yeah. wow. That's, that's rough. Yeah, but that's why I love the movie, because it makes it very clear that that's not what it's about. <laughs> Atala. Atala Shabazz, the daughter of uh, the late Malcolm X. You remember him how? Oh, when I think of my father immediately, I mean, you see it, I have the side grin, because my father unlike the tense, rigid person that people imagine he was all the time, it might have been an hour or two of his day in terms of the public speaking. When he entered our household, I could feel his heartbeat. You know, there was a smile. He was a, a daddy pal, a partner in crime kind of friend, um, person with whom you could share your secrets and you felt like he understood. So along with being consoler and the the prince or the king of my house, he was a best friend. Really? Mm -hmm. And you were there the day he was murdered? Yes, I was. Do you remember that day? Clearly. Really? How old were you, Atala? I was in grade school. I'd rather not throw out numbers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But I certainly remember it. And there are many people who will precede that question with, I know you're too young to remember. And people should never underestimate the recollection of a child. Mm. <laughs> And how do you remember it? What do you remember? Do you well, remember, I remember the... the whole day? I remember the period that preceded it. You know, um, when my mother talks about the marriage being better than she expected, my childhood indeed was similar to the assessment of a picket fence. You know, I had parents who loved each other, and I saw that. Uh -huh. I saw a household that was warm. I myself don't recall knowing about the antagonism that was outside of the door. Really? No, I don't recall any of that. You don't so, remember the night the house was firebombed? No, antagonism okay. outside, meaning the, the climate of hate okay. that my father was battling. I was not um, digesting any of the ills of society. I just got the blessings in terms of what my lineage, parentage, um, heritage was worth, what mm -hmm. I was from. Mm -hmm. So that as things started to change, it preceded the day that my father was killed. And the week before was the bombing. So that there's enough that a child recognizes when the rhythm is off. And you couldn't articulate it, but you know the rhythm. I think that's oh, a great yeah. way to describe it, that the rhythm was off. Very clear. And for I'm sure that for you, um, Dr. Shabazz, that the... I, I remember, of course, that you were pregnant with twins at the time. Yes. And for weeks and weeks after, you had nightmares about it, of course. I didn't have nightmares about it. I couldn't sleep for three weeks. Mm -hmm. 
because every time I would go to sleep, I would see my husband falling. As a matter of fact, the first sleep I got was I went to Juanita Portier's house, hmm. and she gave me a water glass full of honey and brandy. Hmm. And uh, I, I couldn't uh, take the taste of the brandy. It was the worst thing I had ever tasted, and she wanted me to drink this. She suggests, drink it. Let it go down your throat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so she kept putting honey in it. But when I went to sleep early afternoon, I did not wake up until late afternoon the next day. Mm. My first sleep in three weeks. Could you feel it coming? Could you feel, if not the assassination, but a sense of dread coming? You knew something awful was going to happen? Because um, that's what Spike does for us in the movie. And we get to hear uh, Malcolm X before he goes out and does that speech at the Audubon. And, and you know, there's a sense that he knew something terrible was going to happen. Well, it was a year and a half. And there were carloads coming from different cities every week to assassinate him. We had uh, people that would let us know uh, where the cars were coming from. Uh, there was a committee that um, was, you know, trying to find out where he was and... and uh, phone calls to the house and uh, threats and... Well, yes, phone calls to the house. But the, the fact is that we knew when a carload was coming from somewhere. As a, as a matter of fact, in Philadelphia, they had to take out the riot cops. In Los Angeles, they drove him through the tunnel with sawed-off shotguns. And he came from California to Chicago on the cup show. And there was, they were here waiting for him. Wow. So, you know, that's not any secret information. That's right. public. So that, the point is that it was a whole year and a half so that we knew uh, that they were trying. Another point is how, because what Atala just explained to us, that she felt in this home, toward the end, felt the rhythm was off. How, if for a year and a half this is going on, were you, as a mother and as a wife and as a human being, able to keep the family going with a sense of everything's going to be all right so that the children grow up feeling that life is going to be all right? How were you able to do that? Because you had to be scared. No, I wasn't. You were not? No. Excuse no, me. No, I was not frightened. Mm -hmm. I was not frightened primarily because my husband was there. And, and I perceived him to be a tower of strength, you know? So you weren't afraid of what they could do to you? Well, the point is, is that whatever they could do to us could be done to them. And your question was? Yes, Spike, you ended your movie by saying by any means necessary. Who was that directed to? What specifically was your message? Well, I think we're just reiterating what was one of Malcolm's most famous speeches. And we began it with uh, Nelson Mandela in South Africa. Then we cut to him. By the way, Nelson refused to say by any means necessary because of the implications it might have. So we had to mm -hmm. cut back the that Malcolm would do that. But I think it's been misunderstood. By any means necessary, does not mean black folks go out and start shooting white folks automatically. That's what I was saying to, to Dr. Shabazz, that I think a lot of people have interpreted it to mean that, and it doesn't. You can clear it up here. One of the things is that uh, by any means necessary is a comprehensive term. Uh, when people are writing proposals, they usually use comprehensive terms. And it means that your focus could be social, could be academic, 
could be political, could be religious. It says any means necessary. I usually say that anyone who says that that is a violent statement is violent themselves. Mm. And that's the only thing that they can think of. Mm -hmm. You know, they're paranoid. This is to Ms. Betty Shabazz. Considering that Malcolm X was murdered by the Nation of Islam for what was shown by the movie, do you feel as if it's good for us as young black males to enter the Nation of Islam to control ourselves or to better our minds and shape our bodies to live in 1992? Wow, that's, that's really a kind of a tough question. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but the point is, I think there are other, there are a variety of organizations and agencies that you can join. Okay. One of the things that Malcolm always said, and he spent five months the first part of 64 and three months, the last part of 64, investigating and getting support for the UN peace. He said it would be the black Muslim movement along with this government. A lot of people have problems with that, but that's what he said because uh, he talked to some of the people that were uh, following him. And one man said to him, he played a game with him. And it, he would come down every morning for breakfast. And this morning, Malcolm was late 40 minutes. He was never late. And when he came down, the guy looked up and with a big grin on his face, and Malcolm said, I fooled you, didn't I? You know, so that he was, he was followed. I think it's key, if I may add, that regardless of the organization, congregation, group, gang, whatever it is, that what is most important is not to implement somebody else's agenda, but to figure out your self-worth so that you can follow through with your own goals. Well, there are a lot of people who want to know what the X means. I thought everybody knew. It is explained in the movie what the X is really all about, but since a lot of people haven't seen it yet, you want to explain? Well, I think I'll do my best. X okay. represents the unknown, and all of us being descendants of slaves, we were stripped of our history, of our language, of our names. So they took away the slave master's name, and until you're given uh, your ex or another name, uh, that's what you had, an ex. Okay. Does that explain to y'all? Right. Thank you. The question is, have we made giant leaps forward when a movie like Malcolm X makes money in both white and black neighborhoods? My next guest says it's great, but she feels that watching minorities on a movie or TV screen has become a cop-out for a lot of whites who still don't want to personally interact with minorities. Dr. Hazel Carby is a senior professor of African-American studies at Yale University. You don't, don't you think that, that Malcolm, though, is going to bring about a great difference in the way people relate? <laughs> Well, clearly, it's a very powerful movie. And it's a powerful movie because it's not just about Malcolm X and those years, but it's about the politics of today, too. It speaks to the politics of today. And I think a question is, what are we going to do with that now? Black culture really sells. It sells across into the white suburbs, if you like. They will buy black culture. They will, people will say, I love Spike movie, you know, Spike Lee's movies or whatever. But they do not want for example, black kids from the inner city sitting next to their kids in the rich white suburbs. They've built these huge barriers. They're maintaining these barriers of apartheid every day at the same time as they're buying into black culture. And it's a real substitute. It's a substitute for the political action needed to desegregate. They feel they know black people. They'll have black books in their, you know, white, segregated suburban libraries in the schools, but they won't have any black people in there. They don't want to build low-income housing 
into which black people could live. It's the, it speaks to that deep, But deep I think it's going to be a step in the, in the right direction, though, if you get the masses of white people who ordinarily would not have gone to see a movie called Malcolm X out to see it. I think that's a, that's a step in the right direction. You clearly will. And the, step, the, the question is, though, you know, what, what, is, are they gonna what do? is the next step? Yeah. Not only what are they going to do in the white suburbs, but what are we going to do? I what, mean, did you, what did you want to say? What did you want people, or did you want them to do anything after seeing this film? Well, I think you're always going to have that debate how much effect does art have, whether it be a song, a movie, a play, a television. But we, what we hope, that people will be affected by Malcolm's life, inspired by it, and maybe for young, especially young black kids, to see how much Malcolm revered education and really apply that to themselves. Right. You wanted to ask what? What was your question? Uh, yes. When the uh, discussion of the film first started, there seemed to be some type of controversy going on about how Malcolm was depicted in the movie, and I wanted to know more about that. What did you want to know? Uh, what was it about, and why was there a controversy? Yeah. Well, I think the controversy really arises from how many different Malcolm X's there were. If you have a guy like Chuck D on one hand, and then Clarence Thomas on the other, and both of them say that Malcolm X is a hero, then how are you gonna make a film that's gonna satisfy such a diverse mm -hmm. political thought? And so I knew going in, there was no, there would be no way possible to make a film that could satisfy Dr. Chabaz, Atala, Amiri Baraka, Minister Farrakhan, right. and keep going on and on and on. It couldn't be done. So what did you decide to do? To make the film I wanted to make. <laughs> how long did it take for the research of the film and how accurate do you feel the information is? Mm -hmm. well, I think the film is very accurate. Uh, Dr. Chabaz was a consultant on the film along with a Malcolm X scholar, Paul Lee. I talked to Malcolm's uh, brothers, uh, Wilfred, Omar, his brother Robert, his sister Yvonne, uh, Minister Farrakhan. So I just went about trying to talk as many people as I could. And I think we're very, we're very accurate. At the same time, this is not a documentary film. This is a dramatic film, so we did take some artistic license. In the film, Malcolm was introduced to Islam by a character named Baines, played by Albert Hall. In real life, he was introduced to Islam by his brother, Reginald. Dr. Shabazz, I thank you for being here and sharing your thoughts with us. And thank Atala, you. thank you very much. Spike, a hell of a movie you did. I was never so proud of one person as when I finished that movie. I think, listen, I can't wait. This is what's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting because there is a strong possibility that two black men can win an Oscar this year. And I'm hoping you're one of them. Take a moment to tell you that uh, there's an excellent way to learn more about the entire civil rights movement uh, is to rent the PBS home video Eyes on the Prize. It's a fascinating, authentic look at a, at a time not so long ago that we cannot afford to forget. I want to thank all my guests for being here. Go see the movie. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah Show, the podcast. I thank you for listening.